several months ago, my sister, who's a worship pastor at a church in Cambridge, England, had a very abnormal Sunday morning. She was up front leading the congregation in song when someone came through the doors at the back, bust past security and made a beeline for the stage. They grabbed a microphone and my sister thought to herself, ooh, what have they got to say? And then proceeded to throw the microphone at her head. Fortunately, she was missed and none the worse for wear. Sadly, the same could not be said of the microphone. Uh, The assailant was later apprehended, escorted from the church, and no further harm was done. But I wonder how you would feel if you were faced with the very same situation, standing up here, someone coming down the aisle right at you. How would you respond when faced with crisis? How did you respond when faced with the crisis of the pandemic? How did you respond 20 years ago in the wake of the terrorist attacks of 9-11? How will you respond when it looks like the money's going to run out? How will you respond if your spouse says that they no longer love you? How will you respond when the doctor speaks the dreaded C word, cancer? How do we respond when faced with crisis? Do we melt with fear or do we meet it with faith in God? My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of Creative Ministries here at Chapel Hill. I'm really glad that you're with us today, whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online. Glad that you've decided to make it a priority on the opening day of the Seahawks season to be here with us instead of watching them. Good job. And go Hawks. Um, You're joining us in week two of our new series from the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're uh, splitting it up into three parts, calling this first section, Ready, Set, Go. We're asking, how can we be ready for the work that God is going to do in our lives? The people of Israel are asking, how can we be ready for the work that God is going to do in us? We're asking the same thing. How can we be ready? Last week, we talked about how can we be ready to succeed in the face of change? And this week, we're going to hear how we can be ready when everyone else around us is melting in fear. So last week in Joshua 1, we were looking at this story from the perspective of God's people, the people of Israel. And this week, we're going to kind of flip the tables and we're going to look at it from the perspective of their uh, enemies, so to speak, the people of Canaan, the Canaanites. So God had promised his people a land of their own. And there was this obstacle in the way, which was that the land already belonged to someone else the Canaanites. And this week, we're going to hear how they responded to the impending arrival of the Israelite Israelite army. And we're going to find the answer to the question, how do we find faith when all around us are melting in fear? But before we get there, as we start today's story in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to begin our tale with the story of two nice young Jewish boys who end up at the house of a prostitute. Couldn't wait to hear how they explain that to their wives when they got back. We're in Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, 
men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, that's the prostitute, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she'd laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier this year, we as a family got a puppy, and my wife, Rachel, overheard a conversation shortly thereafter between our two children, Evelyn, who was seven at the time, and Ezra, who was five. And, and Evelyn was saying to Ezra, dogs need to be married to have lots of babies. You can tell what worldview we've taught our children. Rachel decided maybe now they're old enough to fill them in on some of the, the, the more crucial facts of life. And so she said, well... Evelyn, animals don't get married. This was a stunner for Evelyn. She could not comprehend how it was possible to have a baby outside of marriage. And so she said to her mom, well, how do they have babies then? Again, Rachel decided, well, maybe I should be a little bit bold here and put it out there. So she said to Evelyn, they have sex. And Evelyn said, what's sex? At this point, thankfully, Ezra interrupted and said, No, insects, Evelyn. (laughs) Rachel left it right there. (laughs) You know, there's a fine line between propriety and impropriety. And the story we've just heard from the book of Joshua attempts to walk it. One commentator points out that the original Hebrew is full of a number of unnecessary double entendres put there just in order to try and make the reader laugh. It seems like these these two spies were really more like bumbling fools. They were less James Bond and more Johnny English. Yes, Mr. Bean made a spy movie, and no, you should not go and see it. It only got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. To be fair, it's likely that the prostitute's house was the local inn, the Jericho Inn. And I'm sure, being spies and all, they used fake names to get a reservation. But word did get around to the king of Jericho, who was a bit more like the local sheriff, that there were a couple of spies staying at the inn. So he sent some men over to the innkeeper slash madam of the brothel, Rahab, to ask if she could send out the spies. In response, Rahab tells the king's men that the spies came, but then they left, while secretly she hid them on her roof. So the king's men set off in pursuit, and they put the city into lockdown, leaving us with the question, how will these men escape? Yes, both from the city of Jericho, but also from the wiles of this lying prostitute. And honestly, this question of their escape is left hanging by the writer who proceeds at this point to give us what's incidentally one of the longest pieces of dialogue from a woman in the whole Bible. 
The question of the men's escape is, is left hanging because the author knows this story is about something far more important than the fate of two bumbling Israelite spies. This story is about how the people of Jericho are responding to the coming storm that is the Israelite army, and in particular, how Rahab, this prostitute, responded with faith when all around her were melting in fear. So let's keep reading and find out what Rahab says. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he's God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. When we first went into lockdown 18 months ago, how did you respond? I remember those days and in particular, I remember those long nights stuck at home wondering what on earth does this mean for my life, our lives, our livelihoods? My heart, if I'm being honest, was, was gripped with anxiety and fear. Or maybe you remember the days after 9-11, 20 years ago, the way that, that fear swept across a whole nation. In fact, the whole of the Western world, gripping our hearts. You know, those early days of the pandemic, the days after 9-11, they were probably similar to the experience of the people of Jericho as they heard about the impending arrival of the Israelites. They'd heard how they crossed the Red Sea and, and defeated the Egyptians, this world's superpower. They'd heard how they decimated the two kings of the Amorites and their armies. And now they heard that they were encamped on the other side of the River Jordan, about to cross it and make the five-mile trek to the city of Jericho. As Rahab says multiple times in this passage, the Canaanites were melting in fear much like I felt in those early days of lockdown. But not Rahab. In contrast to all the people around her, Rahab's response to the facts before her was not one of fear, but one of faith. Rahab did not melt with fear, but instead responded with faith in God when presented with the facts. And I believe Rahab's response can help us understand how we too, in, in the face of crisis, can respond with faith rather than fear. So how did she do it? Well, I think there are two key things that Rahab knew about God that helped her respond with faith. Two key beliefs that can prepare us for facing crisis. And the first of those is God's might. God's might. Rahab knew that God was mightier than the coming storm. She knew that, that the problems that were facing her people, but behind those problems was a bigger and mightier God. 
Two times she states that she knows that the Lord, the God of Israel, was the true one in control. Verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Not, I know that the people of Israel are going to come and take the land, but I know that the Lord has given it to you. And then in verse 10, she says, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Not we heard how the people of Israel made it across the Red Sea, but no, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. See, the key to Rahab's faith is that she believes in a mighty God who is at work behind the facts of history. You see, the the facts of history, the things that, that we would hear on the news other things like Israel escaped from Egypt, Israel defeated the Amorites, Israel looks like they might conquer the land of Canaan. Those are the facts from the human perspective. But Rahab didn't see just those things. She saw that behind history is his story. There is a God behind it all who is mightier than anything that is taking place from our perspective. That is the real story. And this leads her to make her statement of faith. In verse 11, she says, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth. Belief. In other words, the Lord is the only true God in earth and in heaven. He's the one behind it all. He's the one who's sovereign, who's powerful, who's mightier than anything we might face. Over 10 years ago, my wife Rachel and I went for our very first visa interview at the U.S. Embassy in London. And there was a lot riding on this. We had packed up all our stuff and put it in storage, broken a lease on an apartment. Uh, We really believed that this was what God was calling us to, to come here to Gig Harbor. And as such, there was a lot of fear and anxiety surrounding this visa interview. It felt like the fate of of the next several years of my life rested upon several minutes in the U.S. Embassy. Now, at that time, the U.S. Embassy had a rule, and a lot of this came after 9-11, that you could have no electronic devices with you when you entered the embassy. You couldn't have a laptop. You couldn't have a phone. You couldn't even have the key fob from your car. And so we we made a plan to get there without using the car. We got on a train so that we could leave all this electronic stuff behind. So we arrive, we're standing in this long line. The, The tension and the fear is building inside of me. My heart is just gripped. My stomach is churning. We get to the front of the line. We go through security. They ask us to take everything out of our pockets and out of my pocket comes my key fob for my car. My stomach sinks. I turn to Rachel and I say, oh no, I went out to the car right before we left to grab something and I put the keys back in my pocket. And in that moment, it felt like the the fate of the next several years was riding on my stupid mistake. I started to curse myself inside and what are we going to do? So I turned to the security guards and I said, I've got got this, What, what can I do with it? And they said, well, there's a, there's a drugstore down the road. They have lockers in there. You can go pay and, and put it in a locker. So off we trekked past the big long line that we've been waiting in, headed down the road. And I'm just, I'm like beating myself up inside. I'm so furious with myself. I'm so filled with fear and anxiety and, and anger. And as we approach the drugstore, suddenly I see the name of the street that runs perpendicular to the drugstore. And it is Providence Court. And in that moment, it was like God was saying, hello, Ellis, 
don't forget about me. <laughs> I've brought you this far. Do you, do you not think I can bring you further? I introduced you to this pastor from the other side of the world who you were never expecting to meet. Don't you think that I can overcome a little hurdle about a key fob that has to go in a locker? You see, I was so engrossed with the facts that were in front of me, the human perspective, the problems, the issues that I was facing, that I was neglecting to remember that behind all that was in front of me is a mighty God who is mightier than any problems that I might face. And the same is true for us today. When we are faced with crisis, when the storm is about to hit, when the doctor gives us the bad news, when our spouse tells us what really happened, when our children turn their backs on us whenever we are faced with crisis, we must remind ourselves that our God is mightier than whatever we are facing. Our God has power beyond sickness or disease, beyond the words of human authority, beyond the physical forces of nature. Our God is mightier than our problems. Amen, church? How do we face crisis? By placing our faith in a mighty God who is mightier than any of the problems that we face. Rahab knew God's might. Rahab knew God's might. And that was key to her responding in faith. That's the first key belief she had. The second key belief she had in God, second thing she knew about God was God's mercy. God's mercy. Rahab believed that God was going to give the land to the people of Israel. But if that was true... What did that mean for Rahab? She heard the stories about the Red Sea swallowing up the Egyptians. She heard the stories about them devoting to destruction, Sihon and Og. Surely that would mean for Rahab that she would be facing the same fate, death. But Rahab believed that the Lord, the God of Israel, was different to other mighty powers. Rahab believed that not only was the Lord mighty, but he was also merciful. Let's keep reading, verse 12 and following. Now then, Rahab says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my sisters, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab asks that just as she has shown mercy to the spies, that they would in turn show mercy to her by saving her life. She places her life in their hands and trusts that because they serve a merciful God, that they in turn would show mercy to her and she would be saved. She knows that she deserves to die along with the other Canaanites. She knows that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the land to the people of Israel, but she appeals to the mercy of God, believing upon it for her salvation. And church, we were in the same place as Rahab. We too were sinners. Those who turned away from God and, and walked our own path in life. And we too deserve the due penalty for our sin. We too deserve to be devoted to destruction. But God, 
showed his mercy to us. And instead of devoting us to destruction, he devoted himself to destruction in the person of Jesus. And at the cross of Jesus, we see the might and the mercy of God meet. The might of God, more powerful than any of the forces of this world that cannot stand the sight of sin and must devote it to destruction. And the mercy of God that loves us, his creation, so dearly that he cannot bear to devote us to destruction and so instead devotes himself. The might and the mercy of God meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, church, our biggest problem, the biggest crisis we face is not COVID. It's not government regulations. It's not a storm. It's not money problems. It's not marriage problems. It's not parenting problems. It's not, finan- it's not physical health. It's our biggest problem is our sin. All of these crises and problems that occupy our minds and our thoughts and and create anxiety within us, they're all problems that affect this life. Our sin is a problem that affects us into eternity. These are temporal problems. Sin is an eternal problem. And if we have a God who has been enabled to deal with our sin, a mighty God who must devote it to destruction and yet a merciful God who himself is devoted to destruction on our behalf. If he is able to deal with the eternal crisis that faces every single one of us, how much more will he be able to deal with these temporal problems that face us? We serve a mighty and merciful God. He can and he will bring us through crisis because he's already brought us through the biggest crisis that we're ever going to face. And he will bring us on to the purposes and the plans that he has for our lives. You know, in fact, that's what happened to Rahab. Amazingly, this prostitute went on. We read in the opening chapter of the New Testament in Matthew's gospel to be the great, great, great grandmother of King David the greatest king in Israel's history. The same king that Jesus traces his earthly heritage from. You know what that means? That means this this foreign-born prostitute who probably ran a brothel is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. God not only brought her through crisis, but totally redeemed her story and put her in the midst of the greatest story that the world has ever known. And so wherever you are coming from, whatever your background, whatever you have done, and whatever you might be facing today, we serve a God who can turn that thing around, bring you through crisis, and put you right in the middle of his story for your life and the life of this world to bring about the salvation of the people whom he is calling to himself. How do we face crisis? The same way Rahab did. We believe, put our faith, and put our trust in a mighty and merciful God. But how does our story end? Those bumbling spies, they're they're still stuck in, in Rahab's house. Did they ever escape the city? Turns out they did. Rahab, her house was in the city wall and she had a window to the outside where she was able to let them down via a rope. 
But before the spies left, they asked Rahab to do something really simple and practical. An outward sign to demonstrate this inward faith that she had. Something that would ensure her family would be safe in the coming battle. They asked Rahab to tie a scarlet cord in the window through which she had let the men down. A small sign that was outward facing for all the world to see that spoke about the inward faith that she had, the conviction that she had about the might and mercy of God. And I wonder today if God might be asking you to do something similar. Whatever it is you might be facing, whatever that that is tempting your heart to melt with fear, I wonder if there's just a small step of faith God is asking you to make, a, a scarlet cord, so to speak, that he's asking you to put up, an outward sign that you've made an inward commitment. I remember one time when our finances were were really tight, fear was gripping my heart, and I sat down with Rachel, my wife, and we went through our budget line by line by line and asking, can we cut this? Can we cut this? Can we cut this? We got to an item on our budget, which was some giving to an organization beyond our giving to the church, and, and we asked the question, can we cut this? And at that moment, as, as the fear of, well, are we going to make it through the next month was, was real and in front of me, and as I thought about the fact that this organization has some huge budget and we're giving like the widow's might in comparison and, and really what, like, what do we get out of it? As all of that was confronting me and facing me, I felt like, you know what? This is a scarlet thread moment. This is a moment when we have to take a small step of faith, an outward sign of, of this inward commitment that we have. And so I said to Rachel, no, let's not cut that. Let's cut something else. God will provide. And I wonder today, is there some small step of faith that God is asking you to make in the midst of whatever it is you're facing? A scarlet thread that he's asking you to put out for others to see. An outward sign of of that inward conviction that you have in a mighty a merciful God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are indeed mighty. Any crises or problems that, that we might be facing, we know that you are bigger and stronger and more powerful than it all. You split the seas, God, and let us walk right through the middle of it. We choose to place our trust in your might today. And Father, we thank you for your mercy that even though we deserve to be devoted to destruction, just like Rahab, that you showed us mercy just like you did to Rahab. Instead of devoting us to destruction, you devoted yourself in the person of Jesus. And today we rest upon that mercy of God that you have already conquered the biggest crisis that we might face. And if you've done that, how much more easily can you overcome the things that are in front of us right now? And so we bring before you those concerns. Maybe church, recall to mind the the future fear that you were thinking of earlier as Paul was leading us in worship. And now place that into God's hands. Trust and believe that he is mightier than whatever you're facing. And that he's merciful enough to be able to 
take you out of that situation, deliver you from it, and deliver you into eternal life. Spirit, would you speak to us and show us what is that small step, that scarlet thread that we need to take at this time? Give us faith, courage, boldness to step out, whatever it might be. And Lord, would you use this outward sign to demonstrate to those around us that we believe and trust in you, the Lord God Almighty, the one who is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I trust in you today. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.